Hey guys, welcome to Full Send Podcast. My name is Joey, the Mad Scientist. Today, we have Nate Tilton with JJ and I in our virtual studio. We're talking about all different kinds of stuff. We're talking about uh, Nate's military career, but also uh, his autism research as a undergrad at UC Berkeley in the anthropology department. Nate's had a lot of different hats that he's worn. Uh, he's a United States soldier. He's a former U.S. Air Marshal. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff. A lot of good content. But, of course, before we can send it, we have a sponsor. So let's get to that without further ado. Get ready to send it. What you do, though, with the um, with Berkeley, I mean, I mean, I want to get into it, but I, I kind of want to start. I kind of want to start with the veteran part first, because what was what was your job in the army? So in the army, um, you know, I enlisted as a uh, 88 Mike, which is a uh, transporter. Uh, basically, you're doing yes. truck driving, right? And so I enlisted as that, and then. Uh, I switched over to Infantry 11 Bravo, uh, and I deployed to Iraq. I deployed with the Infantry Company to Iraq uh, for an 18-month tour, and that was back in 2006. And that was my first tour of duty. Uh, there I was an infantryman, uh, became an infantry team leader. Um, also, we began, uh, what was it? We went from, like, combat patrols and combat operations, and it was during the surge in Iraq. And then uh, my unit got stuck... Uh, working in detainee ops um, because uh, of the surge, we had to go and build these gigantic detainment facilities like outside of uh, the one that was already there. Cause we were at Camp Buka, Iraq, which was like the biggest detainment facility in uh, Iraq. And that was like, it was bigger than Abu Ghraib. Uh, but you know, Abu Ghraib got all the fame because of all the craziness that had happened uh, like the year prior. And so what else happened? We got stuck doing that detainee ops because of, uh, Basically, the Air Force and the Navy, nothing against the, uh, the other branches, but they got in trouble because some people got caught uh, having relations with detainees. Um, some people got caught, uh, you know, sneaking detainees, uh, like little goodies here and there. And, uh, you know, the, obviously the command found out about it. And so they were like, yeah, you guys are going to get stuck doing this now because we don't trust these other people doing this. So you're going to do this now. We're like, uh, I guess. Okay, why not? So we got stuck doing that. That's what we ended up doing the rest of the deployment. Um, then I came back. Uh, I worked at Sunburst Youth Academy as a uh, cadre, which is in uh, – that's down in Los Alamitos, California. That's part of the National Guard Bureau's um, youth academy programs, which is aimed at uh, helping at-risk youth reclaim their lives. It was an awesome program, and I really enjoyed uh, being a part of it as a, one of the founding cadre. Um, that was a really awesome thing. Um, I, after that, I ended up deploying again to Iraq, uh, with the 120th infantry out of North Carolina, um, uh, as an infantry team leader and a squad leader. And then I extended, uh, and I ended up in Afghanistan with, uh, one, oh, second infantry out of Connecticut as a, uh, but I started out as a, like a assistant battalion S4 and then, uh, became uh, and section leader 
and then became the official battalion S4 and still the section leader. And we were basically like uh, doing uh, convoys and whatnot. Uh, moved over to, uh, then I came back, uh, joined the Air Marshals, um, was there for a while, uh, and then I redeployed again with the 268 uh, Transportation Company out of uh, Orville and Susanville, California, and we went to Afghanistan. Um, and there we were running convoys all throughout um, Western Afghanistan, and you know uh, it was it was some pretty crazy times, um, but you know we uh, you know proud to say we all made it back um, you know in, in one piece more or less, um, and so now you know we're back here. Uh, like uh, the last couple of years, I've been serving as a senior truck master, which is basically like a senior operations NCO. Um, you know, I basically, after the first sergeant, I'm the next guy in line um, and just been doing that now for the last few years. Um, but I definitely miss working with the line platoons and working with troops because when you go into operations, you, you get kind of removed from that. And instead of, uh, you know, leading, you're kind of working behind the scenes a lot of times. It, it took a little while to get used to, but I still miss uh, working with troops. Um, but, however, I'm waiting on my medical retirement and uh, I just got an email yesterday saying that, oh, yeah, you know, uh, it's it's up at the board review. So hopefully find out in the next few days or weeks or whatever. Um, so that's currently where I'm at. And then, uh, as previously mentioned with the air marshals, I ended up retiring from them back in uh, 2016. So my point my point in asking, because, um, like, we know we know who you are. We, we, you know, I, I briefed JJ. Um, we got Gen Z kid yeah. Nick here, our, our resident Gen Z. Um, we uh, we know who you are, but what I wanted what I wanted yeah. to tie in with, with this is for our listeners out here is because if I've never personally met anybody who went from well, like I've worked with a lot of transpo guys, a lot of eighty eight micers. Um, yeah, and I was with the trucking company that I was working for. Uh, I trained a lot of guys that were coming fresh out of school from the civilian side. Like, Hey, I was an 88 miker. I just got out. Um, I got, you know, I got my GI grant to do uh, technical college. I'm going to, I'm going to go to a truck school and uh, I'm going to go drive trucks across right. America. And it's like, I've, so I've talked with a lot of them. I've, you know, bunked with them, you know, Hey, so you're in my truck. This is my rules. You're, I'm going to teach you, you know, mentor you on how to do this job by yourself kind of thing. But I, I, I've never met, yeah. I've never met an 11 Bravo before that got, you know, got out relatively speaking, of course, but got out, got out of that and yeah. then decided, Hey, I'm going to go to college. Let's go to UC Berkeley. <laughs> especially within yeah. the last couple of years because ever since ever since orange man got into office people at that campus have been, like that's that's been battle that's that's been battleground zero yeah yeah i mean it can be sometimes um you know i honestly i love cal um and i never thought i would say that and, and i'll be completely honest with you and I, I i applied to i don't know how many different colleges uh ucla ucsb um, you know, and some of the CSUs, I applied to a whole bunch of different ones and I never, I didn't think I was going to get into Berkeley because honestly, I, you know, I was a high school dropout. You know, I, I got a GED when I was in my uh, early twenties, I went to job Corps. You know, I didn't think Berkeley would even, you know, take a second look at me. 
So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to, I'm going to apply anyway. And, um, so I applied, I got in, um, and, and that was it. But I was nervous, uh, when I first started going because I was like, man, you know, Berkeley has a really bad, you know, reputation for, for not being military friendly. Um, you know what? I, I found that to be farthest from the truth, um, in a sense, because you got to think about it. Uh, Berkeley is one of the big colleges out here in California, especially in the Bay area. And, um, yeah, especially me being from the East Bay, if you, it's like one of those things to know that you made it is you go to Cal, you know, at least on the East Bay side, I'm sure on the peninsula or the South Bay, you go to Stanford, you know, those are like the big schools out here. And so, you know, going there, I was, I was really nervous about, uh, okay, you know, I'm like, man, these guys aren't gonna be military friendly. Like my, my license plate had the disabled vet thing on it, you know, it has a DV on it. I'm like, man, my car is going to get messed up. You know, I'm just thinking all these different horror stories that I've heard. And, you know, honestly, I haven't found any of those to be true um, because it's an open campus. So it's a public campus. So a lot of times you get people that are, are protesters and whatnot. They're not even associated with the school that come on campus, you know, because they're they're doing their thing and they just leave them alone. But as far as, you know, being uh, a veteran and a military person, it's like the, the vet center there is, is on point. It's probably best center uh, best vet center you know i've really ever encountered and and i've encountered uh, quite a few and these folks are, are awesome you know um but as soon as i got accepted to berkeley they called me and said hey brother you know this is you know the vet center at berkeley you know we we would love for you to come in and, and check it out and meet the other vets and, and they were just very opening and welcoming and and just like you know really accepting of, of who we are as vets and then also another thing that's very interesting is they have all branch rotc there so they have marines navy air force army um i don't think they have coast guard so that's the only one they're missing but then you know people are always on the fence with the coasties anyway yeah, but um pirates. yeah they have yeah exactly but so it's actually comforting for me because I'll be I'll be chilling right, just hanging out, eating my lunch or something. You you'll just see like a platoon of uh, of soldiers or Marines run by, and it feels like you're on a military base again. It's really it's it's really funny, you know, because you'll just see them run by in, in boots and utes running by or doing PT, and it's like, oh, you know, I know those guys. You know, it's like I, I know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, I know that sucks. <laughs> you know, you just got you just kind of got a smile. And it is. It's it, yep. Yep. Guys. You know. Just embrace, yeah, oh, yeah. embrace the suck. Embrace the oh, suck. Yeah. Guys. Embrace the suck. When you're when you're talking about what you're doing though post post military service, it's kinda awesome because you're you're looking at um medical anthropology through a lens that it, it is really important. And you hit on something with the VA and the twenty two a day that um Nick Palmashano, the one of the founders of Ranger Up they uh he 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 did a a youtube video on something that um AOC had said recently where uh she said like the VA is the model for socialized medicine but you have 22 veterans a day statistically on average like the 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 mean is 22 a day right so you have 22 a day committing yeah. suicide because of all the bureaucratic red tape and all the pill pushing you know getting getting you addicted to, to opiates and things like that and then not being able to supply you with services after you get addicted to the opiates it, it, and i and i laugh because it's so damn sad but if that's supposed to be the model what i wonder is is that okay so they're going to make 
all healthcare like the VA, where it's bureaucratic and you have all this red tape to go through just to get seen by, you know, whatever doctor you need. And then you're going to have 22 people a day, not just veterans, but 22 people a day committing suicide because they can't get the healthcare that they need. I think, like, I, I laughed at it, but then I thought about it. And I'm like, that was a really dumb thing to say on her part, not on his part. Because on his, on his part, yeah, I, on on her part, like what? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I saw that too, and I was actually just kind of flabbergasted by that. And I was like, I was like, I, you know, and and unfortunately, it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of like in, in anthropological terms, like back in the day, in, in anthropology's you know, not if infancy, but maybe like I guess if you were to put in the age of a person probably in like in his teens um anthropology used to do a lot of what they call armchair anthropology and basically there's these these old stuffy dudes that you could imagine just sitting in these gigantic wingback chairs puffing on you know um pipes and and whatnot sitting in like a you know like uh, sitting like in the Dionysus club like from (laughs) Sherlock Holmes you know like just sitting there puffing away and, and talking and and reading this literature that were written by missionaries or or all these other people and not actually experiencing it for themselves. And, and I think that's what the situation is here is I think the, uh, the young representative AOC, you know, I think she, in a sense, she's taken on a very large role and, you know, I mean, with the platform she has, she's taken on a very large role. And I think, I don't want to say she's overwhelmed, but I think she is in a sense overwhelmed because this is the thing is she's not a veteran and she doesn't know what it's like to have to deal with their healthcare. You know, I, I'll tell you the VA for me has been a nightmare. The, uh, that thing is, is horrendous. I've, I've had, I know a lot of veterans have hit and miss issues with the VA and, you know, I'm one of them. Um, but you know, the, the bright shining thing I have found from the VA, which is a part of the VA, but also separate is the, the VA, the vet centers, um, which the veter the VA do fund them. However, they're like a community outreach program, but I've found better counseling there. I found better, uh, you know, help there. Like they can't like actually give you medical attention, but as far as mental health goes, I found them to be uh, amazing. And, and, you know, that's one of the people that, um, you know, I talked to some of the folks I've talked to for, for help for my research because uh, you know, they're just awesome people and they're very open in a sense. Whereas I've gone to the VA for mental health care and it's like, okay, you get these many visits and then you're on your way. And then here, here are these pills. And that's the, not the experience I've had with the vet centers. And I, I fully endorse the vet centers. And I say, you know, like my brother, for instance, he's a vet also, and he's dealing with some issues. And I'm like, hey, dude, you know, why don't you go check out the vet center? You know, and I've been trying to trying to get him there and get him there. But because of the fact that it's VA related, a lot of vets like to stay away from it because they, they hear the name vet center or they hear, you know, the VA is involved and they, they step away. But, you know, I can definitely vouch for these folks where, you know, a lot of them are veterans themselves. And so they understand in that sense where they can, they can, you know, uh, you know, sympathize and, and actually understand like, Hey, look, you know, these guys are going through this, you know, I might not have gone through the exact same experience, but I've went through something similar. I can relate Where a lot of time with the VA, uh, sorry to say, but it's just like the rest of the government, lowest bitter stuff. And, and some of these doctors, you know, like for instance, you know, and nothing against, you know, immigration or, or, or migrants or, or whoever, but for instance, like my doctor, she needs a translator to understand what I'm talking about. Like, for instance, I went in there to see her, was it last year? after some issues and like, but this is my primary care doctor, mind you. And she had to have the social worker come in 
and explain to her what I needed because she wasn't understanding because there was a language barrier between us. And, and I'm not saying that she's, you know, a that she's a uh, not a good doctor. Yeah. I'm not saying she's a lesser of a person, but unfortunately it's like, look, I don't speak what you're speaking. You're not speaking what I'm speaking. And there's definitely an issue here. And unfortunately, uh, you know, this, it's just a pain in the butt. And it also sucks too. If you're also still in, like if you're in the national guard, like I am still, or in the reserve, then you got to deal with the VA. A lot of the time they will not make a move. Like if you, if you say, Hey, you know, I'm beat up, I need to do this X, Y, and Z uh, and not go to drill or not do this. They won't do it. They will not sign the paperwork for it because they don't want to be held liable when it comes back for the VA rating. Even if you're hundred percent rated already, they don't want to be held liable. So I found what you have to do. The trick of the trade is you have to basically go to a private doctor, private primary care. So you got to have another insurance and, and basically get them to sign it, then bring it back to the VA. The VA will not question it. So that's a little tidbit, a little, little chunk of information for all those young vets that are listening. You need to go to a primary, a private primary care first, get the, the script filled out by them and then go back to the VA and say, Hey, I need this. And they will give it to you. But if you go to the VA and say, Hey, I need this, they will not give it to you. They'll be like, I don't know. I don't know, unless you have a really awesome doctor, but in most of the cases, unfortunately, they, they either move or they get hired somewhere else because they get a better opportunity somewhere else, unfortunately. And you see a lot of good doctors leaving the VA. So I, I don't know if it's the best representation of social health care. I, I would beg to differ. I'm sure there's, there's probably some other better institutions out there. Because otherwise, you know, I, I shudder to think if, if uh, people were to be stuck with the VA. Yeah, because it sucks. What I... What I... I wanna. I, I feel the need to preface this, but it's yeah. As a person, Donald Trump sucks. Kind of an asshole. Yeah. Don't like assholes. I don't like being one myself. I play one on TV. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as a president, he's really not so bad. Recently, he um. He, he signed a document where it actually kind of frees up um, both TRICARE and the VA uh, so that veterans can actually go go to outside care, you know, their own P they can pick their own um, PCPs or, um, or specialists if they need it, get those referrals and then build the VA out for it. Yeah, yeah, they've they've had uh, Barack Obama. I think was the first one to do that, and it's like uh, I want to say the VA Choice Program, um, and that one's okay. Uh, it has its issues, also. Um, for instance, like you, it you can use it if it's what is it? Uh, if you're a certain amount of distance away, which I totally get that, and I totally agree with that because hey, if you're three hours or four hours away from a VA, that's kind of ridiculous. You know, there's no need for you. To, they should just bill your, you know, obviously there's going to be a doctor somewhere nearby you that's closer than four hours. Like, hey, build that person, you know, or build, have that person build a VA and that should cover it. I think that should be uh, good to go. But then also <laughs> the other junction is if it's like uh, 30 days out, I think, or more. Like if you have to wait for an appointment for more than 30 days, you can do it, um, which I think is is a good thing also. Uh, because that was a bad, a bad thing with the VA was that some people were finding themselves having to wait like long periods of time for an appointment. But um, that was another 
uh, caveat. And then I think the last one was uh, if they didn't have the specialist. Like if they're, if, let's say if you were going to like uh, urology for uh, infertility stuff, um, you could go outside of the VA um, unless they had one type of thing. So it's just different things. So there's, there's different uh, ones I found good with, uh, like for instance, uh, what was it? I had it once where I was able to go to a chiropractor um, because I was in a, a military vehicle accident, what, back in 2014, I think it was. And, uh, you know, the VA sent me out to a, uh, a local, uh, chiropractor and that was nice. That was, I found her very helpful and I still see her now. Um, and they gave me, I think it was like 10 visits or something like that, which was nice. And, uh, so I used her for a while and I'm still using her now. And then the VA got their own chiropractor, uh, my local VA. And unfortunately I don't really like the guy, um, like just, didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. So I, I decided to just keep seeing her on my own dime, but luckily she's pretty cool and she knows I'm a vet. So she's like, Hey, well, I'm just going to charge you what the fee is for a copay, not for a full uh, visit. So, you know, she, but she, she does that for me because I'm a vet, you know, and she's just hooking me up and she knows that uh, the treatments helped me. So that's been um, helpful for me because I've done all the things like physical therapy and whatnot. And I didn't, you know, honestly, I didn't find it as helpful, nearly as helpful as I found uh, the chiropractor. Yeah. And I know some people have uh, different feelings on it and whatnot, but I've happened to like the chiropractor myself. Um, that's just me. Like I've done, I've had a lot of inflammation in the, my joints lately, especially my back because uh, I just came off a really nasty prednisone regimen. I gained a bunch of weight. Oh yeah. And when you gain weight, you yeah. know, like the same thing. <clears throat> People talk about fat versus muscle, and they're like, "Oh, if that mu if you were just bulking up, you'd be fine." I don't know because um, Tim Kennedy, his last fight before he retired in the UFC, had the same issues where he had to basically double double his body, you know, double two, you know, go two ranks up from. Uh, middleweight to light heavy and from and then that fight fell through and then he had to go to heavy to, to fight i forgot his name but he was complaining the same thing lack of energy you know joints and back are hurting like you're you're, you're just hurting you know because your frame's not yeah your frame's not built to support that weight and i'm kind of feeling the same, the same effects like i'm on my feet 12 hours a day every other week is an eight hour overtime <laughs> where you know I'm I'm alternating between 36 to 48 hours every other week. And, yeah, and um, it's really like I wanted to go to a chiropractor. I found one in my area where it's like he charges you 60 bucks. Thirty five yeah. for your first visit, and then it's sixty dollars after. But you can like, if you need, like, you come back as you need it. There's not a set appointment like once a month or twice a month kind of thing. It's you know, whenever you feel like you need it to be adjusted, you can come in. I, I right, people, and that's that's not uncommon I, see, either. I don't know anything about chiropractors because this is the first time I was even thinking about going to one. 
because I used to box. Right. I used to box, so I, um, I'm I'm of the same yeah. kind of athlete like Tim Kennedy, and I I feel the exact same way. Where it's like, you know, the fiance the fiance comes home, and she's looking all, you know, all beautified and everything, and I'm like, mm, damn, baby, you look good, and it's like, Ugh. but you know what? Like I just <laughs> I feel kind of like a sloth right now, like just slow and sluggish. Like I don't, feet are hurting, knees are hurting. Got the, you know, I'm all banged up from work and everything because it's a physical job. It's physical labor. And it's like, uh, you know what? Like, I just, I, like, I want to in my brain. My body's telling me, yeah, not tonight. So it's been, it's been, it's been a struggle. And I can only imagine what it's like to be, you know, in a combat arms job where you're getting banged up and then you're expected to go to, to go hump and, and, and do, you know, or even just to go drill and do PT. It's like. Well, it's like, if you look at that new PT test, that's going to suck. I, I can see like a whole slew of back injuries from that one. Cause the new PT test is like deadlift and all this other stuff. And there's nothing wrong against deadlift, but the, the amount that they want you to do and the rate that they want you to do it, I could just foresee a lot of injuries especially first coming out the gate, not to mention there's going to be issues with uh, like, there's no profile. And, and for those of you that don't know for the profile, it's like, those are for folks like me, like I have a no run and I have a uh, no sit up profile due to my back. And that means I don't have to do those. However, the new PT test don't, does not have alternative events. Like normally it's like, I do like a, what, two miles and a half walk instead of my run and then sit-ups, uh, I don't think there's an alternative event for that. They just, you know, basically you just do a thing or they, you just can't max it out. Like I used to max out my uh, sit-ups and push-ups and run and all that type of good stuff back in the day when I was a young man. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when I, when I was a young man, you know, I, I was, I was really uh, good about all I mean, that how stuff. Old are you, now, and, you know, I am, uh, geez, what am I now? I am 36. And I know that doesn't sound like it's old, but they always say ten, like each deployment adds 10 years. So I've done four. So it's like, what? So I'm actually like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah quit. I was a young man. Um, I used to do 120 yeah. sit-ups and 150 push-ups. And that was before <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how the army works, though. It's like, that's what you would do before breakfast is you do all that, you know? And I... uh you know, I, I enjoyed doing it. Like, especially when I used to work at the youth Academy, it was like, I'd go PT before work. And then I would have the, the cadets, um, you know, after they got out of school, cause it's a boot camp for kids or, you know, you know, for like people 16 and 19. And, um, you know, it, it, we would, I would do PT with them there. And then I would do PT afterwards. I just used to be, you know, like a workout frenzy person. Like, I, like, in fact, uh, I was actually the, like the PT instructor for my, for my unit for a number of years and like the lead instructor for a long time. But yeah, that was, that was before I moved on to my, my current position. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's just, I think the new PT test that they're going to be implementing, I can definitely foresee a lot of injuries for that one. Um, like it's definitely somebody got a, a you know, a attaboy for basically implementing some crazy CrossFit regime into uh, a regiment into uh into the army basically someone's gonna get an award for God that or they have already because it's it's gonna be difficult 
Well, it's going to be difficult to facilitate for the guard or the reserve because the guard and the reserve, for instance, you know, basically whatever they get, it's like whenever the army does something new, it takes about like four or five years later for the guard or reserve to fully, uh, uh, fully do it because a lot of times they don't have the money for it. So for instance, you need all this different equipment. And before it would take us what, like maybe three hours or something like that, three, two to three hours to do our PT test. Right. You know, because it also includes, you know, like, hey, the once the Joes are done, they have to go, you know, excuse my French, but, you know, sh- shower, shave, right? They're going to go, you know, get ready, and then they're going to go eat afterwards. Now it's like, this is a whole day event, like basically to do a PT test. You know, it's just kind of ridiculous. And most, like I said, there's no um, profile activities. So then how are the people that are profile going to do it? They're not. They're going to they're end up being medically retired or chaptered out. And so that's basically, so you're going you're gonna to see a lot of things like, like uh, post-Vietnam where it's like a lot of the older vets get pushed out because of their injuries and whatnot. So basically you're going to see a big uptake in a lot of uh, veterans pretty soon because of the fact that they're going to be pushed out of the military because they can't do, uh, they, they won't you have profile You don't events. think they would be grandfathered in? No, no, they're not planning on it. And, and that's basically one of the things they've, they've already said too, is that they're not going to be grandfathered in. You're basically, if you don't have a, if you have a profile, tough luck. That's what we've been hearing from the ground level. Um, I don't think they will, because uh, a lot of times they're not really into grandfathering things. They're normally they're like, hey, this is this is the way it's going to be, and this is what you're going to do. And if you can't do it, too bad. Well, and then you know, I mean, sometimes sometimes they might grandfather well, it, but I don't see them doing suck it. Too to have that to, to have that philosophy behind commander's intent because you you have senior level leadership such as yourself, you know, Sergeant first class, right. Where you have right four tours of deployment under your belt. You got seen, not only do you have seniority as a, as a NCO, but you have com, you know, you have senior combat level experience where it's like, okay, yeah, I've done, I've done platoon sergeant. I've done squad leader. I've done these things. I am, I'm a, I'm a better fit to be a leader because I've been through these things and I know the experiences. I know how to keep these young bucks out of trouble. Now it's like you got basically blind leading the blind. <laughs> that is a really great analogy for it. Um, you know, what was funny is actually a few years ago, um, like, so, so a few years ago I was flagged, right. Uh, uh, you know, NMD non-medical deployable and, or our MMD medically non-deployable. We got so many acronyms. Uh, sometimes I lose track. But um, for instance, uh, I was actually interviewing for a job um, with uh, one of the youth academies. They were opening up a new youth academy here in California, and you know I missed doing it, so I interviewed for it, and I had just come off of the medical non-deployable list. You know, I uh, I thought I was meeting with the sergeant major and uh, these other two people because it was a board interview. And, you know, the sergeant major asked me, you know, he's, he's like, are you on profile for anything? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm on profile for this and that, you know, for running and stuff. And he's like, he's like, okay, then, you know, how would you be able to lead, to, you know, lead these, you know, cadets basically, how, how are you gonna be able to lead these people if you can't run? And I'm like, you know, cause you know, obviously good leaders lead from the right. front, right. Not from the rear. And I told him, Hey, sergeant major, I'll violate that profile if I need to. And of course, you know, he got a little bit uppity about it. And I was like, let's, let's face the facts. This is the reality of it. And I, and obviously I did not do well in the interview because I, I told him what I thought. And half the time that gets me in trouble with a lot of other senior leadership because I tell them the real deal. And, um, 
you know, I told him, I was like, look, listen, let's face the facts, Sergeant Major. Real leaders lead from the front. They don't re- lead from the rear. These cadets aren't going to care that I have a profile. They're not going to understand the politics of me having a profile. All they're going to understand is that I'm not up there running with them. However, if I am up there running with them, if I am doing what I need to do to, to help these these troops, you know, to forge them into better people, that's what they're going to remember at the end of the day. And, of course, you know, that didn't go over very well with them. And needless to say, I did not get a job. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, you know it's, it's one of those things where it's like that's the type of attitude a lot of the, the senior, senior leadership have, like sergeant majors and, and colonels and whatnot, is, you know, when you get to one of those profiles, it's basically like that's it. You know, they're that's what you are. That's what you're going to stay at. And you have to follow that profile, like regardless. It's like to the letter. Right. Otherwise, you get in trouble. And I'm like, hey, you know, uh, what else am I supposed to do? You know, and so, yeah, and that was a difficult transition for me to learn how to actually deal with that profile myself. And I have now to a point. But that's the thing is that they're not going to let these troops participate in these PT tests because of this. And like, like you said, they're going to flush out all these vets and all this experience because a lot of us are on profile. A lot of us are beat up. A lot of us are injured. Or you're going to get the opposite where uh, a lot of these vets, they're going to hide their injuries. And that's going to be a big, uh, a big issue. It's just like, for instance, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of military people get chaptered out. I got a lot of buddies that got chaptered out because they pissed hot. Right. They popped hot. And but a lot of them popped hot because after deployment, you know, and it's like, hey, dude, look, you know, unfortunately, the the military doesn't realize a lot of it. It's like, dude, these folks are self-medicating because they're trying to process what just happened, you know, like, like they've been gone for a year. They came back. They may or may not have dealt with some traumatic stuff, or they may have may not have been dealing with some issues. And now they're trying to, to cope with it because the coping strategies they try to give you in the military are not adequate at all. They're garbage. I'm going to just put it out there plainly. It's just garbage. And these folks are out there self-medicating and then they end up getting chaptered out. And that creates this actually like it's almost a military to prison pipeline because I, like a buddy of mine, a uh, good guy, um, you know, he, he got chapped uh, after he came back from deployment. He was set to go to Ranger School and all this other high speed stuff. But he some some stuff happened on deployment that he had to process and he wasn't processing it well. He didn't know how to. He didn't know what to do. And he ended up uh, getting chaptered out for smoking weed, you know. And uh, so after that, he got out and then he started throwing to harder drugs. And I'm not saying that weed's a gateway drug or anything, but he was looking for things to either A, uh, give him that rush that he had on deployment, or B, self-medicate, you know, um, to escape the, the things and, and help him process. And escape, exactly. And escape what he was trying to uh, process. You know, because that's one thing that a lot of vets are good at, a lot of people with PTSD are good at, is avoidance. We are great avoiders. I can, I can avoid with the best of them myself. And I had to force myself to actually face things a lot of the time. And that, and that could be even production stuff or, or you know, just being pro- – like like a productive student for instance where it's like okay look i need to do my homework and stop avoiding it yeah you know? <laughs> because i i will avoid it because it stresses me out i've run into a similar but i've run into a similar yeah, it's problem just something i've seen with home life versus <clears throat> versus um like observed trauma because there's there's multiple different levels of trauma yeah. there's physical there's physical trauma there's oh, yeah. mental trauma there's emotional trauma there's um trauma through contact and there's um observed trauma so didn't happen to me but i saw something happen directly in my line of sight right um which oh, plays yeah. into what oh okay <clears throat> sorry um 
it's uh no worries with 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 the misses here though it's like that that avoidance right where i mask i mask that trauma by outright lying about it covering it up with something parallel to right. what, what the truth was but not actually coming to grips with the actual truth um and it got to the point where it's like you know honey no you're lying because the timelines don't add up and this doesn't add up. So like what, you know, like I, I don't like you lying to me what's really going on. And so now it's kind of become that thing where, all right, look, I gotta, I gotta face this. I gotta come to grips with it. I gotta adapt and overcome to it uh, and, and overcome it. So how many, but how many other people are out here doing the exact same thing? Hmm. Oh yeah, no. There's there's plenty of them. Uh, a good buddy of mine, who I served with, and I'm just using him as an example. And, and that's not to take away from from any other uh, issues of trauma, because there there are several issues of trauma. I was a victim's advocate, and well, they call it victim's advocate. I prefer survivor's advocate because, um, you know, that, that essentially that's what they are. Is they're a survivor of, of some sort of sexual assault or or, or whatever have you. And um, for instance, he. Uh, you know, good dude. I've served with him. Uh, one of my best buddies, and he he's been fired from what two jobs in the last what I want to say. So he he was able to hold it down for a while, but obviously his his trauma started to formulate. You know, we were we served together in Afghanistan, and and uh, you know it was actually a convoy. I was uh, or a QRF force, a quick reaction force. I was sure. leading, and uh, his truck actually got blown up, and you know. His eardrum got blown out and all this other stuff. And, you know, and I don't mean to trigger anybody else if, if they are triggered by that. And I apologize. But, you know, I'm trying to share his experience. And so he's got let go of, of two different jobs in the last couple of years. And that may not seem like a lot, but it is for him where he's used to having steady work. And a lot of it is due to his trauma. And For instance, you know, he, he's the type of guy that will give 110%. You know, like in the military, you know, a lot of times you do that. You know, you, you give 110%. But he's also one of those guys uh that can't show up on time for anything and a part of that is is his trauma you know because in the military you know you're 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 trying to show up early for everything right but you know for for instance there are some of those other vets where it's like for me it causes me anxiety if i'm late i lose my damn mind if i'm late you know it, it like drives me absolutely bonkers you know but for him for instance he can't be on time for anything and i think that's a a part of that trauma however i can't get him to get help you know, because a lot of times there's that avoidance. I'm like, dude, look, you need to go to the VA, you need to get your rating, you need to get some counseling, you need to do X, Y, and Z. But unfortunately, there's that stigma of, of uh, you know, PTSD there, and he's, he just can't get him there. You know, that's, that's another issue I found with a lot of uh, young vet buddies of mine is that they don't want to admit it. Or once they do, they're scared to even talk to somebody about it because there's that stigma behind it. And it creates these false narratives like you were talking about. Where basically they'll they'll talk around their trauma and try to make it seem like it wasn't as bad as it was, you know. Uh, a lot of the time they'll try to talk it down basically and basically uh, min- minimize it in a cool. sense, you know. And I've seen a lot of vets do that. And I, I used to do it myself too. I, I didn't know I had PTSD until I talked to uh, actually when I was working at the youth academy after my first tour. Uh, a good buddy of mine, um, he was my platoon sergeant at the time, uh, Staff Sergeant Edwards. I used to call him Peanut, right? Because uh, his head was shaped like a peanut and he was bald, so I would call him Peanut. And uh, <laughs> and he was like, you know, him and I were sitting in his house and, and we were drinking some beers. And he was like, "Hey, brother, you know, 
He's like, you got PTSD. I'm like, what? I'm like, get out of here, bro. What are you talking about, man? He's like, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you have PTSD. He's like, look, I didn't understand it myself when I was when I was younger too. When I came from my first tour, but he's like, yeah. He's like, I see you going through the same things I went through when I was younger. And now that I'm older, I see a lot of these younger vets doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think it's going to take, you know, it's just like that meme. I, I'm sure you may have seen going around Facebook where it's like it's the older vet that jumps into the hole to help pull the, the guy and the, you know, the, the other veteran in the hole yeah. out. And that's what it takes is that, that somebody there that's been through that, that's, that's walked that line already that can recognize it to pull someone else out. And, you know, that ties me back to the vet center and why I like that because you have a lot of vets working there, you know, and they're able to help pull each other out. And that's, that's what like my, my boy, uh, uh, Sal at the vet center, my counselor, he, he helped pull me out all the time. Like I meet him twice a week. You know, I may seem like I got everything going together, but Hey, I see him twice a week and he helps me maintain, you know? And, and that's a big part of it is, is otherwise we start building these false narratives. Yeah. And like you were talking about, we, we start to minimize our trauma. Well, it's just like my dad and his old Vietnam war buddies used to say, um, the, the, the best medicine to have is the toughest pill to swallow. And what he meant by that is, is that, you know, usually facing, facing uh, something like that is, is very tough, but it's, it's really the only thing that's going to help you in the end. And having a support system of people who've already been through it. Yeah, it, it does help. I've, I've, uh, I've battled cancer myself and I didn't have such a support system. So, you know, having, been through the uh my bout cancer i understand the importance of having people who've been through it be there for you and uh kind of help you through it and i know it's not the same thing you know me going through cancer and, and veterans going through uh wars and such but there is some some uh similarities some parallels there and you know, I, I, if, if there is anyone out there who can help and are in a position to help, I, you know, I often try to advise them to do so, no matter what kind of traumatic experience they've been through, because it, it, it also helps the person. Not only does it help, you know, those who have been through it and, and need that help, but it also helps the person who's counseling uh those individuals because it allows them to share those experiences and get through it together. Right. I totally agree with that. And that's, that's actually one of the things, uh, you know, I'm going to be definitely talking. So, so next month, for instance, uh, I'm going to be speaking in front of Congress uh, in Washington, DC, and I'm going to be talking to them about my experiences as a disabled vet, as a disabled father and, you know, and also having a child with disabilities because my son, uh, my son's on the spectrum. You know, he's he's my autistic son, and and I, you know, I love him to death. And I'll be that's one of the things I'll be talking about is how my disabilities have helped me help him with his. You know what I mean? And that's one of the just like you were talking about where it's like it, it takes it helps to have somebody that's been through experiences. Like even though I'm not on the spectrum. I, I can relate in a sense of 
the disabilities I do have where it comes with processing or, or overstimulation, I get that, you know, in a sense where like, uh, or he may have it differently, but I can help him navigate it. And I also introduce him to also, uh, you know, other people in the disability community and, um, you know, try to help introduce him to other folks that, that have gone through similar experiences or, or other folks on the spectrum you know, and show them like, hey, dude, look, just because you have this, because let's face it, in, in a neurotypical society, people will put you in this box that you need to fit in, right? And in society, it's like, you must fit in this box, right? And however, it's like, hey, look, dude, you know, and this is what I try to get across to them is you may not fit in this box. You may never fit in this box, but that does not mean that you can't be successful. You know, you could always be successful. And that's why I you know, I introduce them to all these different folks on the disability spectrums um, and be like, hey, dude, you know, this is this is so and so like my buddy uh, Reed, you know, he's he's in a, a power chair, you know, but he's also has a, a B.A. from Georgetown and he has a M.A. from Stanford in, in documentary studies uh, and he does documentaries with disability folks. I'm like, look, you know, there's nothing holding you back that's being successful. You know, you can still be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do, you know, and right now he wants to be a, a, a linguist anthropologist. And I'm like, Hey man, cause he has a love for languages. Like, and that's his thing. He's all about it. And I'm, and I'm fully for it. You know, I support it a hundred percent. And, you know, that's some of the things I'll be talking about in front of Congress, because, you know, as, as you know, uh, in this disability community, it's like with, with parents um, sometimes, some people try to use people's disabilities against them and get their kids taken away from them uh, due to the fact that these people have perceived disabilities. For instance, uh, there was a quadriplegic woman who uh, a judge viewed that she was using her kids as basically like her caretakers, when in fact she was just giving them regular chores to take care of around the house. But in the end, the kids were taken away and given to their father who they had little to no contact with. Mm. You know, it's just because the judge perceived this. And that's one of the things that we're going to be we're going to be talking about with Congress where that's BS. You know, like, for instance, with my my ex-wife, like I have full custody of of our son and, um, you know, she tried to use my disabilities against me, you know, bring out the fact that, hey, look, you know, he has PTSD. He has this. He has that. He has all these issues. And I'm just like, judge, I'm like, I'm not I'm not contesting any of these facts. These are these are facts. These are not. You know, I, I do have these issues, but I also work on them and I will also help. It, they also help me help him, you know, in a sense where he's able to be successful. You know, and I've, I've used these what they people, other people will call disabilities. I use these to my advantage to help him, you know, because it gives me a different perspective and a different lens to look. Yeah. You know, even though I am neurotypical. You know, what's interesting to me, because because this is your field of study, so you might be able to speak on it better than I would, but we we talked about in private, you know, again, kind of that locker room talk yeah. about some of the some of the neural links between um, some of these comorbid diagnoses. diagnoses. Um, but something that was interesting to me that hasn't really been studied or even, even just data mined is how many what what the ratio is of veterans that come back start families have kids and the link with those people to having 
kids that are uh, neurodiverse? I definitely think that's um, an interesting because it seems um, like yeah, because it seems like topic. a lot of people that I've talked to and that I know in my personal life are people such as yourself that that have been in a combat arms position mm-hmm. um, from military to police all the way out to your eleven bang bangs and O three series um, that come home and they they got you know they get the wife and kids and stuff and then come around between three to six years old. Oh yeah, they're like we've had a lot of behaviors recently. We're gonna go get our kid tested and checked out. Like the school's doing it. Um, they don't want the kid in class right now. And then it, it turns out, yeah, they have autism. They have ADHD. They have, um, you know, all the you know they have uh, dyslexia or whatever. You know, a lot of a lot of the neurodiverse uh, things. In fact, I even know somebody who's BPD. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's. It, it it's weird that the the number seems to be, I mean, from just from knowing, just from knowing, knowing the personal stories, and I, I I don't know if it's every kid to every veteran parent, whether it's mom or dad, but it seems like it's almost like a one to one. Um. Well, now for for me, for instance, like uh, like. My my son was born uh, a little bit after I got back from basic, and then uh, right after that, you know, not long after that, I shipped to Iraq. So um, you know, I, I missed a lot of the developmental phase. But we, my my ex wife and I, uh, we got pregnant before uh, I joined the military. However, that doesn't mean that you know people aren't predisposed to do things. Um, like for instance, uh, they say you know like the the rate of people on the spectrum in Silicon Valley is really high. Um, you know, because, you know, obviously it may be stereotypical, but they, they also say a lot of people on the spectrum are really good with, you know, mathematics and logic and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of them do like a programmer stuff or computer type stuff. So you have a large influx of that here in the Silicon Valley. And so we're actually seeing an increase in that out here in the Bay area where with a lot of people on the spectrum or a lot of younger people on the spectrum because of that. Um, and so there's nothing to say that people aren't predisposed to, join the military and and some people may carry uh you know some sort of uh autistic gene as they say and um you know because i, I know the latest research that latest one i read was that it was passed down through the father's line uh the, the autistic gene however you know i i would like to see the studies that uh show that it's passed down on the mothers as well because you know historically um, a lot of time, women with autism are often overlooked and underdiagnosed. So I would, I would definitely like to see an increase in the study on that to actually see that before we make a final verdict. But I would say that, for at least from what I've read, the research I've read is that you know people on the spectrum, or or people not excuse me, not people on the spectrum, but but people that carry the genes of of uh, autism. Um, like seek each other out in a sense, like they're attracted to each other in a sense, and it keeps that gene going. You know, it's just kind of like natural selection. You know, mm. um, so I would definitely like to see, uh, you know, the studies on that. I agree with you. I think that would be an interesting study topic to see where that goes, um, because I'm sure you could definitely see some sort of correlation with the predisposition of 
of people, not just on the spectrum, but other other things of ADHD and and BPD and whatnot. Because there are a lot of people in the military that are BPD, and they end up normally getting uh, a discharge for it. Um, but that's typically what happens. Like sometimes they might not pick up on the BPD until later on. Because um, I've had some buddies in the military that they get diagnosed BPD, um, you know, a few years after they're in the service. A lot because a lot of times, you know, they just either go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed their entire life. But I wonder, you know, I wonder because we talk about the warrior, you know, the warrior spirit, but nobody really talks about the warrior mind being able to right, being able to go through in doc basic or boot camp go through go through your advanced training come out go do a few tours maybe make a career out of it or get out and go, then transition into uh back into civilian life and go do something else but still have those tools with you i wonder how much of that has to do with the the neurodiversity community in and of itself is that like look it takes like for example like a higher functioning autistic person whether or not you're diagnosed or not to to do something like that to to be hyper focused on you know to a point where you have that higher alert level well i I definitely think that you know uh someone that's uh you know, on the higher functioning end of the spectrum um, could, you know, could obviously very successful. Now there's, there's quite a few people that are on the spectrum that, um, you know, are in the military. They might just might not realize it or they may just be misdiagnosed. But, um, you know, and that, that goes back to being able to fit in the society's box, you know, fit, being able to fit in this, this box of, uh, you know, neurotypicals in the sense where it's like, for instance, when you become a, you know, you, when you go in the military, your, your style of thinking changes, you know what I mean? You're like, you're no longer uh, just a civilian person. You, your style of thinking changes. And that's, that's a form of neurodiversity as well, because when you come back, you know, you don't think like a civilian does. You don't think like every other neurotypical person, your type of thinking is different, you know? And I'm not saying that, you know, just because uh, you're in the military that, that you're completely different from everybody, but in a sense you are, you, you think differently. You've been, you've been uh, introduced to a culture and, you know, uh, you've been introduced and indoctrinated into a culture, you know, such as the military culture and the veteran culture, which are, you know, very similar to each other, but in essence different from each other at the same time. Um, but you've been, been introduced to it, you know, because they, they say, you know, Culture is something that has language. Military has language. Um, they say that culture is something that you think is how you think. You know, just like, for instance, where it's it's okay in the United States for, you know, whatever. You know, a, like, for instance, we eat pork regularly here, right? That's a pretty regular thing for most people to eat. However, in different, different parts of the world, that would not be accepted at all because it's like an automatic, oh, that's gross, that's disgusting type of thing because of the culture. And that's the way cultural thinks. And, you know, so that's a, a form of neurodiversity in itself where it's, it's the cultural diversity that makes us think differently and makes us process differently. And um, just for instance, like you're talking about like the hypersensitivity of things like I, I use that all the time. It's, it's how I talk to people where it's like, for instance, uh, when I give presentations for the Fung Fellowship, I use that hypersensitivity to my advantage 
and I look at people in the audience and I read them, you know, I'm able to read their body language. I'm able to read, you know, in a sense what they're thinking and, or at least what I'm perceiving what they're thinking. And I'm able to focus on them, make eye contact towards them and, and use that to my advantage. However, those, those are tools I learned in the military, you know, but they're also tools that backfire on me uh, often because for instance, uh, after a few years, after I got back from the military or got back from my last deployment, uh, my buddy and I, the one I was talking about that has been having problems with his job uh, recently, um, we went to a ball game. You know, we went to a, a A's game and I couldn't be there for more than, I think it was, uh, we were there for maybe 10 minutes and I was losing my mind because of the amount of, the amount of stuff my mind was trying to process. You know what I mean? Like I was trying to process all these different threats or people oh, that can be oh, perceived yeah. as no, threats. And, I was trying like, to process I've everything. Even, I've never even served a day in my life. I've had to do some of the some of the, right. the firearms training and stuff because of some of the contract work I've done. But most of it, most of it is right. most of my life. I would say the majority of my life has been in, in interacting with agencies involving military or right. military personnel, either working alongside them or. Um, you know, like project management where I'm working with a team that um, um, liaisons, things like that from, from the military. So, but it's all been from a civilian side of things, but I even do the same thing where I, like, I can't go to a restaurant right. without having my back facing a wall and have, being able to observe all the exits, all the people, you know, back, back of the house kind of thing. Uh, baseball, baseball games, sporting right. events, stuff like that. It's like I'm watching all. The, I'm watching the people more than I'm watching the game. Right. Well, it's because of that. Like you were talking about that that warrior mentality, and that's a part of it. And it has its goods and it has its bad aspect too, though. And that's, I would say, that's probably a little bit of the bad aspect, but it has its positive parts too. Where, like I said, like I'm able to use that to my advantage when I'm speaking to people or when I meet people. For instance, it's like you can gauge people. Um, people's reactions to how you say things and, you know, you adjust fire, you know, it's like, okay, like for instance, I'm in a job interview and I can tell it's like, okay, if I say this, they're going to like what I say and then I'll keep going. It's like, you might do a little background research on somebody and that's a part of the warrior mentality also where it's like, like, Hey, you know, like I'll look somebody like before I go to a job interview, I might look them up and I might see, okay, they got cats, they have dogs. Okay. I'm going to talk about my cats. I'm going to talk about my dogs and I'm going to, you know, have them see, you know, see these similarities because then that attracts them to you in that sense where they're like, oh, okay, this is an ally. This is a friend, you know, because they, they have similar interests to me, you know, but that's a part of the warrior mentality also is doing that background, doing that. Oh, yeah. Well, and you and I you know were I mean? kind of doing the same thing, even just to each other. But I think that's why we ended up clicking the way that we do is because not, it's not just right. of like, it's not, it's not just, of like interests it's of like minds right right exactly because people like people that are like-minded because they feel they're going to get along with them why would you because it's like why would you hang out with somebody that you're not going to get along with you know that you're not going to be able to share an interest with and and, you know i I, of course i i uh i try to get people to do that because it's like you know in the military it's like sometimes you don't have a choice but you learn to develop some other interests and you, you know you find common ground but, you know, all that is a part of the warrior mentality, though, you know, of, of being able to link that together because it's being a warrior is also still being a diplomat. You know, it's like like what does Sun Tzu say? He's like, uh, like what the best war is the one you don't have to fight. Right. 
And, and in a sense, that's a part of being a warrior also is being on that level. Like, like when you become a senior NCO, you have to learn to be a diplomat. And that's something that took me a long time because, um, you know, uh, the diplomat part is not the easiest part for me. I'm not very good at politics. And my dad always said that I should never go into politics because I'm too hot headed. You know, I would, I would get upset. Cause if I get passionate about something, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go all in, you know, I'm not going to go halfway in and, and be like, okay, okay, maybe. A lot of times I, I just go all the way and it's like, nope, we're doing it this way or not. But uh, that, that's one thing I learned in the military is that you can't always do that. And it, it's gotten me in trouble numerous times because like I said, I go in there with senior staff or, or colonels or, or whatnot. And I'd be like, you know what, sir, that's, that's not a good idea or something. But, you know, I, I definitely provide them a alternative solution because that's one of the things my old one of my old first artists taught me is that you should always if you're going to propose a problem you need oh, yeah. to propose uh, a that's solution that's something that jj and, so that's, and i talk about a lot too it, it, but yeah. if you want if you want to talk about friends yeah. and not getting along jj and i don't have a lot of common interests but i mean we're basically blood brothers at this point right yep right and there's and that's part of like that's like a part of the warrior mentality too because you have to be able to get you know get around people like that that you may not have a hundred percent interest or any interest at all together but and not might not be able to see eye to eye on but then you can talk to each other about it and and debate each other and actually have like conversations you know that's a part of the, the warrior mindset and a lot of people don't think about that when they think of a warrior they hear a warrior and they think of bloodlust and rage and and fighting and that's all that we do and it's like no there's a lot more to being a warrior than just that you know, there's there's an intellectual pursuit, just being able to talk to people. There's the bureaucracy of it. There's there's the being able to conduct reconnaissance. You know, there's so much more to it than than just what the people perceive it to be. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's just like uh, I forget name of the uh, Japan has what they consider the greatest samurai that that has ever lived, and he wrote the book The Five Rings, and uh, that's an awesome yes, book. And, yeah, I read that my yeah. first tour in Iraq. And that's one of, one, one of the things that he, he says is that, you know, the, the path of the warrior is ha, you have many paths. It's not just one single yep. path. And, in, in, and exactly. the path to enlightenment has many paths. And the warrior path is one of those paths. So well, even, right, just, <clears throat> even just deciding on when it's actually appropriate to go to war with somebody is a part of that warrior mentality like you said you know the be, uh like sun tzu said it the the best war the the best kind of war is the war you don't actually have to fight right no. so you have you have this ability you you, you kind of have to have this ability to perceive threats but also you got to have this pretty deep toolkit in order to actually figure out what it is that you, you know, like what the best, uh, what the best recourse is going to be, what the best course of action is going to be. You don't always have to go in, you know, full hard charging and, and swinging, swinging a sword around, you know what I mean? Or, or, you know, laying, laying down, laying down <laughs> superior fire. You, you need to be able to go in and right. say, Hey, you know what? The best war with this, with this particular tribal elder is going to be to ally with him. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And unfortunately, a lot of people have that misconception when it comes to, you know, being a warrior. That's what is actually what they think when they think, oh, yeah, this person's a warrior. They're a fighter. Like people look at soldiers, Marine, you know, other other service members. They, they look at us, you know, and they, except for the Air Force, maybe, you know, and they think that we're idiots. You know, 
it's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, we always joke with the Marines or, or you know, even with the Army. Like, I, mean, dude, I didn't even score very high on my ASVAB. I got like a 34. You know what I mean? I They gave me three options. They're like, you can be a truck driver, a cook, or a grunt. And, you know, and they're, I'm like, okay, well, shoot, why not? You know? And, and I, and it's funny enough is I ended up in my career, I ended up having to do all three of those jobs at one point in time, not so much where I was a cook, but I was in charge of them uh, at one point. So I had to learn the job because, you know, I, I've always believed that if you're going to be in charge of somebody, you need to know how to do their job. You know, you, you shouldn't just do, you know, can't be in charge of somebody and not know how to do their job. That's just kind of BS, you know? Um, so I had to learn that job also, but um, it's just one of those things where, it's like we make fun of Marines for, for eating crayons and whatnot. And, hey, you know what? Who hasn't eaten a Corolla here or there? They're kind of delicious anyway in their own way. You know, just got to flam bam like the right rainbows. way. But, <laughs> but exactly, exactly. That's, that's the whole thing is that we, you know, people look at a lot of the military folks and they don't see intelligence when they, when they think about us. You know, even, even our best and brightest. You know, it's like, dude, we have like in the Navy, what, we got like nuclear engineers and yet they still, you know, look at, you know, the military, they don't look at us as the best and brightest, except for maybe the Air Force, you know, and unless the, that's why I tell people like, then they ask like, oh, hey, you know, I should, I want to join a branch. What should I join? I'm like, look, dude, either join the Air Force or join the Coast Guard. I'm like, we, we may clown on them a lot, but they're the ones that come out with the best benefits. Like in the Air Force, you come out with the uh, college degree, uh, at least a community college degree from the community college of the Air Force. I'm like, dude, you can't beat that. Most most you of know, the that's, jobs that's in the Air Force cool. just a pre-qualified you know, and a freaking bachelor's degree. That's what kind of pisses me off. It depends on which job. Like, Because uh, I used to uh, date somebody in the Air Force, and they had a – they didn't have a – I don't think they – yeah, they didn't have a bachelor's at the time. But they uh, they ended up getting their AA from the College of the Air Force. But they were a, a pharmacy technician, you know what I mean? And it's like that's that cause that's like a lot of math. I was always like, you know, me grunt, me me smash hammer <laughs> into rock. You know, that's about what I would do. But um, you know, it was just one of those things where it's we had this misconceptions about things in the military where we don't understand their intelligence. Like the grunt community, a lot of people, you know, they, they see grunts as, oh, they're just dumb grunts, right? You know, because they don't take a very high ASVAB score. But the thing that I've found in the infantry is that either A, they're, they're like the low ASVAB score people like myself, or B, they score like 100 on the ASVAB. There seems to be like, it's just this weird connection where they're just like, and you get this, this makes weird bedfellows because you get these dudes that are like best buds. Like you were talking about, they may not have any, like any common interest. You know, this dude could be a total nerd, you know, score 100 on the ASVAB. The other person could be a total football jock and they'll be best friends. You know, that's one thing I love about the military is that, is that you, you find this and you find this connection with other people. And that's what a lot of people miss in the veteran community when they get out. Being able to just link, uh, yeah, just link up. When they go back to, yeah. and just kind of, cause it is kind of its own yeah. form of society. But that's like through through indoctr through the indoc phase and in the in the in the your basic training phase you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of that. It's also what what's really interesting to me is the the correlation and the links between those that are going through um, like a, a classroom led um, ABA therapy. Oh yeah, well ABA therapy is I think an interesting thing because. You know, like on the Twitterverse, you know, I see a lot of negative stuff. Because the guy ABA that invented it's a freaking, you know, like that's uh, one Dr. Mendelev type. Right. No, and I, and I know that. And I, I agree with you on that. It's because it's, it's like, I think the issue with it, too, is because they a lot of people view it, you know, 
um, and I can't speak for the people on the spectrum, but I think a lot of people view it as it's because you're trying to make them fit, like basically trying to make uh, uh, what? Yes, yeah, trying square, to make a triangle fit hole. in the hole, and that's, you know, or trying to make us. That's why I never like exactly. I'm fortunate enough to never even have had ABA as an option to me, um, because when I was diagnosed, it was I was on the I was on the gifted side of the spectrum. But now that we're realizing that the spectrum yeah. is actually a, a, this 3D universe of different depths of right. the different challenges and um, characteristics and traits, um, you know, like I, you know, I'm a good public, I'm a, I'm a I, I, when I mean good, I mean functionable public speaker, okay? Am I yeah. a freaking politician? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just a regular guy like you and, and like JJ and like everybody else. I have my own opinions. I formulate my own opinions, my own hypotheses, and uh, come to my own conclusions. When right. you're talking about politicians, though, you almost do have that sort of shared characteristic trait of like a narcissistic kind of person where it, the spotlight's on you. You kind of got to be able to soak that up. You can't really be super uncomfortable with the spotlight. You kind of got to just kind of grin and bear it and be able to accept it, but go a little bit past that and kind of turn your personality, I guess, up to up to the highest level. Um, kind of just kind of go out there and showboat a little bit. Whereas somebody like me, like I'm, I, I've always been a lot of the project management stuff I've done, a lot of the uh, design and uh, engineering projects I've worked on has basically been either from a contractor standpoint or from like a subcontractor standpoint where I'm not even in the spotlight. Like this is the team that's going to get the recognition. I'm the guy throwing the pitches out to them, making sure that they hit it out of the park, stacking the deck for them, if you will. And so, <clears throat> you know, it's like at the end of the day, though, I really don't care because I'm the one getting paid the bigger bucks than they are. You know, these are your guys that are just coming out of undergrad, they're right. uh, doing their they're doing their time in before they get to go out and uh, you know go do their GREs and stuff like that and get into uh, their graduate programs. So for me, right. it's like okay, I already have all this experience. I'm gonna go and uh, I'm gonna go to engineering school, and then from there, it's like ah, you know what? I don't want to go to engineering school just yet. I want to go you know because I want to do aerospace engineering. I want to actually go fly planes for a little bit and know how they work before I have some stuffy professor in a, in a seminar or a, or a lecture tell me how planes should work. Right. Well, and that's, that's funny that you say that because that's really like kind of like how the military is because it's like you have, you know, you have what, what in essence of everything we have theory, right? And then we have practice, right? Or practical application, like you're talking about practical application, and I'm I'm fully in agreement with you. I theory is boring to me. I'm sorry, theory is extremely boring, and to me, that's kind of like the officer world where it's like theory. You know, it's like they haven't been tested yet. Where practice is like the enlisted person's world, where they've been in practice, they've been doing it. They've, you know, and that's part of our job as enlisted people is teaching these theorists, basically the officers, like, hey, sir, don't touch that. <laughs> you're gonna blow your hand off. Don't do that. You know, hey, ma'am. Don't do that. Those people need their food. Don't press that button. You know, it's one of those things where, like you said, like, you know, it's practical application versus theory. And that's one of the things I've, I've come to test theory myself personally, just because like I've had, a, you know, I've taken those undergrad classes in theory myself. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, this is so boring. I mean, let's get to some practical stuff. And, you know, it, it also 
it's just, you know, it just gets them under, under my skin sometimes. But then also it goes back to, like you were saying, politicians, right? Pol- you know, and I think it was, I can't remember if it was Trulot, Bordeaux or Foucault who said, uh, you know, basically, you know, the class that you're born into, you know, you're going to be able to relate better to that person. And, and kind of like, you know, I don't know if you ever read The Great Gatsby, but it's like, you know, how, how Jay Gatsby was never able to relate to those people. You know what I mean? He, he couldn't relate to them because he was born into that class of people. It's just like we were talking about where some people are predisposed to join the military. Some people are maybe predisposed to become engineers in Silicon Valley or, or whatever have you. It's kind of like the same thing with, with these politicians where these people are born into this class and they relate to that class because, you know, they're, they're them. They're, they're one and the same. And they have some crazy Game of Thrones stuff going on half the time, it seems like, you know, at least from what, what my perspective is from it. But, you know, it links back to what we were just talking about, about how uh, people are, are oftentimes predisposed to, to go into those jobs. It doesn't mean that they don't have a choice. They could always choose to do something else. However, they're always going to relate to those people better than anybody else can. You know, just like, like with vets are able to relate to other vets, you know, politicians are able to relate to politicians. You know, it's just, it's just the nature of the game. It's just the culture that they're indoctrinated into. You know, it's the same type of thing. And where as far as practice and theory goes, um, I would definitely rather practice any day of the week than, than theory stuff. Theory drives me nuts. Like I, there's sometimes I like it, but not very often. It's, it's the same reason why I could never be an officer. Like I even was on the fence for a while about becoming a warrant officer in the military. And I was just like, I can't do it. I like being an enlisted men too much. I like working with soldiers. You know, I enjoy leading because essentially with, with officers, it's not so much that they don't lead. It's just that they don't have a lot of face-to-face time with troops because after they become a first lieutenant, you know, now they're an XO. They no longer really have a platoon. Sometimes they will, depending on the amount of officers they have. Or they, then after that, they become a captain or a commander, you know, and it's like, it's like, okay, you're not going to really have any interaction. Like you may have some interaction, but most interaction you're going to have is with the first sergeant, you know, and then after that, you become a, a major somewhere, get stuck in the shop somewhere. And then you you may have like three soldiers that you're in charge of. However, as a platoon sergeant, you're going to be running, working with those soldiers for a long amount of time. You know, as a squad leader, you'll be face to face with these troops for a long time and you'll have the greatest impact. You know, it's kind of like looking at a micro versus a macro scale. And that's weird, too, because, I mean, you're you're in anthropology. So, like, that's that's a lot of theory mixed within a little bit of practicality, whereas something like engineering, it's a little bit of theory, you know, just to advance the science of building the thing and how the thing is supposed to work as it's being built or how the mechanics of the thing is supposed to work to, to make it work versus the actual practicality of these are the things these are the hard things that we know how the thing is supposed to work and this is how this is why we're going to build the thing this way because we needed to do you know it's going to be purpose-built it's going to be doing this thing <clears throat> whereas yeah. with aerospace aerospace advancement has been huge because there's all this there's all this room for, for the advancement so you have an equal part of theory and an equal part of practice and that's kind of why i chose aerospace to begin with not just because it's more or less the family business i mean i have quite a few uh uncles aunts and, and cousins that work within the aerospace industry um i just i like planes airplanes are cool spaceships are cool and i want yeah. to also from an autistic yeah. standpoint Everybody always talks about how space is supposed to be for everybody. You know, space space belongs to the world, right? Right. But not really, because you don't see people in air chair, you know, in wheelchairs getting up in the rockets and taking off for for the moon. 
Dude, they couldn't even supply women with enough, uh, what, yeah. spacesuits to go do a spacewalk. Yeah, and then, and, and then on top of that, too, just somebody from the autistic spectrum, never been, di- never been diagnosed or at least openly open about their diagnosis, has been in, in, even just into space. Right. It's because there's so much stigma around it. Can you imagine if, if somebody that's openly, you know, on the spectrum – went into space yeah like, i can because you need to do that like i think it would be an amazing thing i i would love it and that's what i'm saying you should do it because that would be awesome but you could imagine the stigma that's going to be around it too and i'm not trying to, to say that you shouldn't do it. i i'm wholeheartedly agreement you should definitely do it just it's just imagine the stigma around it where it's like you got all these different anti-vaxxer people and all this other crazy folks out there just imagine how badly they would lose their minds well, it would be but- amazing <laughs> what what they would be like, me oh. off is that like I I I face that stigma on a daily because hey I want to go into I want to go into uh, flight training I want to get my commercial rating oh man that's great you know welcome and like I went to right. a, I went to an open house yesterday at the technical college that um actually my my enrollment got pushed back a year because of some paperwork issues some clerical issues mm. but I'm probably gonna do my pilot training this year through a, 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 a local community college. Nice. Cause we're talking the and like the distance between the two, mm-hmm. a fit, you know, 20 minute, 20 to 40 minute drive versus a two hour and 40 minute drive. Um, yeah, so, that makes a lot more sense. Like, yeah. Okay. So they're both, you know, FAA rated uh, courses. I can do this one and then transfer my credits to go do the other one where it off, you know, it's only like 18 grand more. I can go there and get my commercial rating, my CFI, which is a um, certified flight instructor. So I'll be a certified flight instructor with a commercial rating, uh, instrumentation rating, multi-engine rating, single-engine rating, and um, and my uh, and my private's license. So I'll have everything and twelve hundred and fifty hours of flight time. So. But then it's like, nice. okay, so then while I'm going to engineering school, if I want to, um, on my days off from school, I can go do parachute ops. I can go do um, tow banners. I can go do, <clears throat> you know, yeah. if they have a part-time position open as an aerial firefighter, I can go to aerial firefighting school and learn how to do that and then go with the, uh, with the U.S. Forest, uh, Forestry Service or CAL FIRE or somebody, you know, Neptune, whatever, one of these contractors, and go do that. If I want to, but can you imagine right. what, how many people just yeah. regular shows would flip out if I went to go work for Southwest? Oh yeah. Like, people would be losing their minds. You know, Hey captain, good job. You know, thanks. And then they, you know, they, Hey, you know, where have I heard your name before? Oh yeah. You were like, um, look at, uh, Haley Moss who's somebody who, uh, we, we just had Bart Barta on. Not that long ago, uh, Coral Gable, uh, mm-hmm. retired Coral Gable's uh, police commander, and he uh, he knows right. Haley. He's worked with Haley uh, with the advocacy side of things mm-hmm. through autism. And um, now that she's now that she's passed her bar exam in Florida, I mean, she's blown up. She's been in Forbes. She's been in um, like women in women in law she she's been interviewed by so many different people for uh Forbes I think did something Vogue I think did something uh wired 
So like the, the bigger, the bigger, more mainstream publications where they have that social media presence. And she's also done smaller stuff where it's like autism related. Um, but the point being like everybody, she's, she's, she's big enough of a name now to where people would recognize it. And just imagine how many people would want to come after me. Like, right. Hey, openly autistic, openly autistic person. Um, who's a pilot, who's a commercially rated flight instructor pilot. It's like, holy crap. I know that, yeah, man, I, I, that was, that was my captain on my flight from Fort Lauderdale to, uh, JFK or whatever, you know, or from O'Hare down to, you know, down to, to, to Texas. Like, man, that's crazy. I wouldn't even know that guy was autistic. I shook that guy's hand. He looked me right in the eyes. Like, there, there's that level of social masking that I'm actually comfortable with now because of the all the hard pitches that I've I've had with life. You kind of get over you kind of get over a lot of that stuff. Right. But the stigma is still there, where it's like, well, you don't look autistic, you don't act autistic, or whatever. And it's like I think the same thing with the vet community, where they everybody expects veterans to just like what we were talking about. Everybody expects the warrior mentality when they meet a veteran, and you come off as somebody who can use the, what I call like the $5 vocabulary, the $10 vocabulary. Um, you know, you, you look educated, you sound educated, you're talking like you're an educated person. Um, it went, you know, when I say you sound educated, uh, you're, you're doing, you're doing yeah. engineering, you're, you're going to school for, you know, a medical degree, you're going to school for a PhD, that kind of thing. Uh, like, like you in anthropology. And it's like, Oh wow! Holy crap! Like man, like, right. I thought you would have like gone into like um, construction work or something like that. Like wow! Like, like it's awesome. It's crazy. Uh, one of the one of the greatest economic uh, economic minds of our time, unfortunately, is you know um, getting slow in his his old years. Uh, Thomas Sowell, a freaking mm-hmm. Korean vet, college dropout, right from Harlem. Or a high school dropout, I'm sorry, from, from Harlem. Went out, got the general ed, and then came back, yeah. got in the Marine Corps, um, came back, went to a historically black college, and then from there got a letter of recommendation to go to um, – was it Harvard? No, um, Stanford? Stanford. Went to Stanford and then Columbia and then uh, University of Chicago. Or no, it might have been Columbia. Yeah, so it was Columbia, University of Chicago, and then I think he got his PhD at Berkeley. So um, you have this, this disconnect between pop culture and how they perceive, or especially in Hollywood, how they perceive military vets versus the actual reality, which is they're still just normal people. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Full Send Podcast, where we were talking to Nate Tilton, a undergrad at UC Berkeley Anthropology, also part of the uh, Disability Makerspace at the uh, Disability Lab over there. Uh, former Army vet, great guy. 
we loved having him on today we went a little bit long in the groove but uh a lot of a lot of interesting stuff we were talking about jj i wanted to ask you before we left um what what's this what's this uh this like disability first or or diagnosis first kind of language um like what's your take on it because that was something that we touched on that you weren't a part of uh well i'm i'm afraid uh, i'm kind of out of the loop on that one um so uh, like like cancer like they'll say like cancer survivor as a part of their disability first language or like yeah i'm a disabled i'm a disabled veteran i'm a disabled person whatever i'm not necessarily trying to bash anybody that does that it's something that i don't necessarily understand um because we had talked about how like there's a lot of people out there that would expect me to say i'm an openly autistic pilot or um like the female thunderbird uh she i think she still flies um thunderbirds which is the opposing solo in that flight um but she's like a female thunderbird right like there's that there's that adverb in like female is used as an adverb to or an adjective to describe the pilot as a as a as a distinction you see what i mean yeah so like if you were if you were a race car driver jj you would be a cancer survivor race car driver like what it's just a weird thing it's a weird dynamic to me man yeah i i i'd have to say it's a little weird to me too because even though i am a cancer survivor i don't you know designate that as anything i just if people ask if i you know i am one i tell them yeah but i don't uh actively i'm sitting there telling people oh yeah i'm a cancer survivor it's not something that, that I freely advertise necessarily. I might, you know, bring it up in casual conversation and tell them that I, that, you know, I had this uh, fight with the disease, but it's not like I, I wear it as a some kind of a mantra or something or a title. It's just something that uh, often comes up usually in casual conversation, like like what we had earlier when I had mentioned it. Uh, it's not something that uh, I usually say just flat out. Um, it's not that I'm ashamed of it or that I'm especially uh, uh, narcissistic about it. It's it's a it's a neither sort of scenario situation. I I just I I believe that it, I had this this battle. I overcame it. And while I am definitely proud of the fact that that I did survive cancer, uh, you know, it's just I'm not overtly enthusiastic about it at the same time. It's kind of like the situation uh, when people sit there and and, uh, I tell them I had cancer, they'll they'll respond, oh, I'm so sorry. And, And I'm like, why are you apologizing? <laughs> right, you didn't. Like you he, didn't. He didn't give yeah. me the cancer. Yeah, and then you know, but there's one guy that uh, he used to handle uh, my parents' insurance a long time ago. When I told him that I was a cancer survivor, he looks at me. He goes, "Well, congratulations." Oh, I said, "Thanks, appreciate it." Usually, people sit there and go with the "I'm sorry" approach, and I'm like, 
it's not something that I'm expecting sympathy for. If I do bring it up and I do converse about it and I talk about it, it's because I want people to understand, not necessarily sympathize. Just understand. You know, there's, 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 the, there was this incident that happened in my life that I went through, and I overcame it. Um, that's kind of the way I equate that situation with. It's it's a it's a neither situation, neither scenario situation where I don't want to be to wear it as some sort of badge of honor, some sort of praise, but at the same time, uh, I don't want it to be considered something uh, detrimental. You understand what I'm trying to get at? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But getting back to our guest here real quick um, before we send it, I um, I love this guy. He's he's awesome, and I, I hope we get him on the show more often. Um, that would be nice. I think I think he would. I think he would just crush it. <laughs> I I really think he would. Um, so without further ado, I want to I want to do I want to do something different. Um. I want to do something different. I'm going to change up the format a little bit. I'm going to hand it off to you. Um, I don't want to ambush you here, but I want to do a um, like a figurehead of the day kind of thing where if we could have had an if we could land an interview with somebody from this past week's current events, uh, who would it be? Oh, hmm. That's a that's a good question, because a lot's happened this past week. Oh man, I would say I would say AOC. Yeah, she would be a rather um, interesting uh, interesting individual to have a conversation with. Um, the question is: Is would we be able to? That's the real question. Well, no, I'm saying like hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically, yeah, it, it would be definitely an interesting conversation. Because, like, look, you're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. But then also, that's not how politics works. Everything's got to be metered. You got to write your questions out in advance. They have to be approved. Yeah, I mean, but don't get me it, wrong. It's, it's just I think, it, to be honest, I think her heart's in the right place. It's just I think she's everything else is just she doesn't really quite understand how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, I think I think that you're right I want to say because I'm I, I'm trying to meter my own speech here I think that you're right but also I think it would just be I, I wonder how much I wonder how much he actually knows versus how much he's passionate about but ignorant to you know yeah so without further ado I'm Joey the Mad Scientist. And I'm JJ. Gen Z Kid Nick was here for a little bit, but I digress. It's been an awesome day here at the Full Send Studio. And uh, we just want to let you know that we love you guys. Thanks for listening to our Autism Awareness Month content. I think we couldn't have wrapped up with a better guest. Um, and uh, just remember, folks, if you're going to send it, go Full Send. Peace. Bye.